think I'm damaged goods. I'm worried about losing my job. Will I ever get a transplant? I want to see my children graduate from college. How can I afford this? I don't want to be a burden. I'm afraid. I'm overwhelmed with information. Sometimes I wonder if I'll ever fall in love and get married. I just want to play with my friends. You're listening to Kidney Talk, streaming health, happiness, and hope to the renal community with your hosts, Lori Hartwell and Stephen First. Stephen, today we're going to be talking about a pretty serious issue uh, about advanced directives. Well, Denise Eilers is going to share a little bit about the importance of it. And just to give you a little bit of background on Denise, uh, her husband, Jerry, was on dialysis for 25 years on home hemodialysis. And so, Denise, tell us a little bit about your husband, Jerry, and what it was like and, and how you learned about uh, being an expert on advanced directives. Well, I wish I could say I was an expert at the time. But I have a, I'll make a really uh, serious confession here. My husband did not have advanced directives. Well, um, well, what is it, first of all? Okay. Well, advanced directives are simply, it's a set of directions, or if you want to call it instructions, about the health care that you want if you no longer have the ability to make those decisions for yourself. And it comes, um, that's more of a, an encompassing term. And what it is, there's two main forms that people usually think of, and that's a living will and power of attorney for health care. And what's the difference between those? Okay. Well, a living will, um, it can be somewhat general. Um, let me give you some things here. A living will is the, exactly the type of care that you want if you are unable to make the decisions. Now, some of them can be, it can be something general, like I don't want any life-prolonging measures in case I can't voice those desires myself, or it can be um, something also somewhat specific. Like no tapioca pudding? Pardon? Like no tapioca pudding. <laughs> right, or actually, or lots of pizza maybe. Yes. <laughs> it killed actually, me in the first what place. It, does, it can include a lot of things. It can include your desire for pain medicine, um, sedation, um, if you want tube feedings, uh, surgery, transfusions, and of course, the ever-present dialysis, um, and even things down to antibiotics um, as to what you want if you can't make those decisions for yourself and are, you don't have a chance of recovery. Okay, so that's a living will. Uh, what's an advanced directive and a durable power of attorney? Okay, well, let's go to power of attorney first. Advanced directives is the general term that covers the way I see it, that covers living will and power of attorney. Power of attorney is simply making the choice of a person. You designate a person that you could call maybe a healthcare proxy or a surrogate. And that's the person who will make the decisions for you if you're unable. So first of all, people a lot of times will say, well, gee, I have a living will. Why do I need a healthcare proxy or a surrogate. Why do I need that durable power of attorney? Well, the fact is that, as, as you two are obviously aware, um, today's medicine and the milieu is so technologically oriented that you simply can't anticipate every scenario that's going to come up in end-of-life issues. So in that case, you do want somebody that can make those other decisions for you if you don't have it covered, let's say, in a living will. The word advanced directives, like I said, covers those legal documents. But, you know, I really like the word advanced care planning or the phrase advanced care planning because I think that encompasses a lot more than just 
those legal documents. It's it's something a little beyond the traditional legal documents, the traditional advanced directives. So I like the whole term advanced care planning. Whenever I go to surgery, they always ask me or require that I have advanced directives. And it's basically about a four or five page form and you read it and check off things. And is that something that's been new that's been implemented in the past couple of years? Um, not really in the last couple of years. I know that any time you go into a facility, an acute care facility, they will always ask you if you have advanced directives. Yeah, they always ask that. Right. But I find it interesting that you mentioned that they actually require you to do it um, because advanced directives are not really absolutely required. You can refuse to do them, but I think one thing that we have to clarify here is that there are state-specific regulations. It's not nationwide. So every state has a little bit different specifics for establishing those advanced directives. And just for your information, there is on the Kidney End of Life Coalition, under their advanced care planning, there's a section called Caring Connections. And that has very state, it has every single state in the union, and it has specifics for each state. And you can actually go to that site and download the the specific instructions for each state and the specific requirements. Well, what I find interesting is I'll go to one hospital and then go to the dialysis unit, and they actually have you fill out different forms a lot of times. So how does that work, and and which one would trump it? And then if you fall over in the street in, in a completely different location... How would they know about those other advanced directives? I mean, how, how do you let the facility know that may not be aware of your background? Well, as far as that goes, and I'm speaking of, of some local stuff here too, when you go into advanced directives, those legal documents are for an in-hospital situation. Most dialysis units will have their own it's because you're not in a hospital. So it would be an out-of-hospital directive. I know in Iowa, you have to have what they call an out-of-hospital directive or out-of-hospital DNR. If you fall down on the ground in the middle of nowhere and the EMTs come and they have no idea, you they would do CPR and stuff until they found out uh, what your advanced directives are. Now, a lot of people do carry wallet cards with specifying that they do have advanced directives. Really? I can't imagine somebody, you know, thinking that far ahead. If I fall in the street and I can't talk, I'm going to carry in my wallet, you know, uh, an advanced directive card. Well, you know, once you do the advanced directive, um, this is one of the things that they bring up, is that those advanced directives are absolutely no good unless you talk to people about it. And what you need to do is you need to make sure that, first of all, you better better make sure that your healthcare proxy knows about it and is willing to serve in that capacity should the occasion arise. And so what you need to do is you need to talk to your family and your friends. You need to let your doctor know that you have advanced directives and give them a copy. You should have a copy where some your family can get at it when they need it, and also too, your, with your, besides your doctor knowing, you should also let any other facilities know that you do have advanced directives and see if they have any specific requirements. Um, and you know, the whole thing is, I think there's been a change in emphasis lately, where. I guess there's a book out. Uh, David Cool, KUHL, wrote a book called What Dying People Want. And his comment is that 
we're so afraid to talk about death because we think by talking about it, it beckons it. And so people shy away from talking about it. But in reality, um, my definition, I guess, of advanced care planning is it's the dis- making the decisions now so I can forget about it in a way and get on with the meaningful and the fun and games things I still want to do. Well, I had a friend, um, she was in her early 40s, and she was a pretty severe diabetic, and she actually had a reaction at the same time she ate a piece of licorice, and she choked on the piece of licorice, it had a, a cardiac arrest, and unfortunately, she ended up um, passing away, but there was a transition time when her husband was totally at a loss what to do, and I, I think if she would have had this kind of document, it would have made it easier for him to determine, because she was on life support, she ended up passing away, but there was about two days of not knowing what would happen. And she ultimately made the decision by, you know, passing away, but they were asking him if he wanted to keep her on life support. And, you know, they had two little girls. It was extremely traumatic. And I think, you know, if you had a document like this expressing your wishes, it would have taken the burden off the family member of making the decision. Yeah, but don't you think a husband and wife would have discussed this, whether it's down legally or not on paper. Honey, if I'm ever, you know, if I'm in a car accident or whatever, not, I don't think she knew she was going to choke on a piece of licorice. But, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't want to stay alive in a coma being fed by a tube. And I think my wife knows that. Well, you know, so many people do have those types of discussion. But, you know, when, when push comes to shove and that moment arrives and Lori knows I've been there. It helps to have it in writing, no matter what. Not only that, you may not know, you know, all the circumstances. Something may occur before a husband or wife can maybe get there or something like that. But, um, you know, I think it really helps to have it in writing. And it doesn't mean you shouldn't talk about it because talking about it is so important because people... Um, loved ones need to be on the same page. Otherwise, you end up with a mountain of guilt. What if this? What if that? If only this? If only that? Um, the, the whole point of this is that you have a say in your future. You know that those values and wishes are respected. And it, I truly believe that it gives people peace of mind. And it does make, like you mentioned, there's less burden on the family and a lot of conflict and stress. But I I must say that I think there's so many variables, you know, where the doctor might say to you, I mean, let's say uh, your spouse says, you know, I do not want to be kept alive. But the doctor may say to you, there's a chance that your spouse may wake up, may come out of it, and with rehabilitation may be able to, you know, live longer. I mean, everything has variables to it. And you can't just take, oh, well, she said, she checked number seven box, which means pull the plug. You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> it sounds like Seinfeld episode. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there was a famous Seinfeld episode about whether I can drink coffee, whether they could pull the plug or not. It's, it's rather funny. <laughs> um, anyway, um, yeah, I, exactly. In, in a technological age, like I mentioned, um, this is always an issue. But Understand that this is not done just if somebody has a heart attack or if somebody has a certain condition or disease. It's only when the person not only can't speak for themselves, but when they have a terminal condition. If somebody has, let's say, a stroke and they are comatose for a while, but 
they're still swelling in the brain. They don't know what the outcome is going to be. It's possible that the person is going to be rehabilitated. Then, of course, you're not going to, as you said, pull the plug. And it's not just pulling the plug. It's other treatments, of course. So you're right. There's variables. And that's why I think it's important to get it in writing that you have a surrogate that can And this is key, I think. Work with your doctors and your physicians and your health team to make those the best decision possible, knowing what your wishes are. Now, I know you speak a lot about your husband, Jerry, and how he was on home hemodialysis for 25 years. I didn't even know they had it back then. (laughs) No, they did. They did. Actually, they started home hemodialysis in the 60s. That's what everybody was on until the early 70s. Uh, But tell us a little bit about, you know, um, he lived a full life, but you had mentioned that he didn't have any advanced directives towards the ends of his life. Sure, and he didn't. And this is um, something that I probably should have pushed and something he should have done. His classic um, line was, I don't want to be kept alive if I can't have a good quality of life, but I trust you to make those decisions. But I still wish he would have put it in writing. Why? Why? Well, I mean, yeah, because, I mean, quality of life changes as you get older. And yeah, but, I mean, why, why do you need it in writing? Well, question. because you feel, I, I would feel guilty. <laughs> and, and, you know, maybe I should go back to, and, and I don't want to bring up a can of worms here, but here's a situation, um, go back to the Terry Schiavo situation. Yes. The, the husband said, well, Terry had said she wouldn't want to be kept alive. The parents actually said, oh, yes, she would want to be. And so there was a real familial conflict there for years and years. And she had nothing in writing. And so, yeah. yeah so it made it... The, the spouse trumps the parents. Well, they didn't in this case. In this, no. this case, they didn't. That's because we had a conservative court at the time. <laughs> I guess I'm yeah. just advocating, I'm, I'm simply going back to advocating for uh, people to look at not only advanced directives, uh, but also to consider absolutely other things that are actually a little beyond advanced directives. Things about people's personal wishes and what they do want at the end of life. And whether that's being, some people feel more comfortable in a medical setting. Many people want to be at home. How do people want to be remembered? What, what do they envision the final scene being, so to speak, um, in your, your world, Stephen, of, of entertainment, the, the, the last scene. Um, do you, who do you want there? Um, what atmosphere do you want? Are there, is there music you would like? I, I volunteer also for Genesis Hospice here in Davenport. And I remember walking into a patient's room at the hospice house, and the Oak Ridge Boys were playing. And every time I went, the Oak Ridge Boys were playing on the CD. And the, her husband said she adored them, and she saw, I think he said something like 150 of their performances they went to all across the country. And so for her, that was meaningful. Um, for some people, it would be a favorite blanket. It would be pictures. Some people, it might even be, I think for me, I want a candle. My favorite is uh, vanilla lime. Light a candle in the room. There are things that we can do to make someone more comfortable and to make that life transition is important as is any other part of life. Yeah, I mean, people always talk about, you know, they see the light and everything. And I always wonder, you know, when you see the light at the end of the light, what if there's just this like animated squirrel? 
And all he says is, welcome. That's it. <laughs> and he hands you an acorn. Well, in my husband's case, he's hoping he hoped that at the other end was an 18-hole golf course where you couldn't shoot under par. Or you couldn't <laughs> shoot over par. Over par, right. Now, does this advanced directive include, you know, whether you want to be cremated, you want to be buried, you want to have your ashes spread at sea, or at an amusement park? <laughs> or on a golf course. Right, or on a golf um, course. You can, yes. In fact, there's one um, that I wanted to bring up. It's called Five Wishes. Five Wishes, Five okay. Five Wishes, and that's the name of the brochure, the pamphlet. And what that does is recognized as legal in probably, I think, over 40 states. And what it does is it goes into not only your wishes, like the living will, it also has things, um, it also includes the health care proxy, um, you know, the surrogate. And then for the, it also includes things like how comfortable a person wants to be, how I want people to treat me, and also what you want your loved ones to know, and those are the five wishes. And it also has a section um, about what you want as far as um, if there's a memorial service, what you want, where you want to be. It can include where you want to be interred or whether you wish to be cremated, things like that. So that can be included. Yeah, I think people make those lists anyway without having a form. You know, they, they tell their loved ones, I want to be cremated. I want this song played. I want people to have a party. Most people say that. <laughs> do you think most people do that? I, I don't. I don't think so. I know exactly what song I want played. What song do you want? Uh, it's it's called when, when I Get Where I'm Going by uh, Brad Paisley and Dolly Parton. It's a oh, okay. duet. But uh, you know, and and uh, you know, I'm scared of being cremated for some reason. I, I don't want to get burned. I would agree with you, and that just is personal. Yeah. Um, it's some maybe it's a fear of fire or something like that. Um, but I will come back with you with a funny one, Stephen. Um, I, w- I keep joking with my friends. I want the Queen song, Another One Bites the Dust. That's a good one. That's a good one. Well, this is a really difficult topic. And, Denise, where can people listening learn more about it? And are there any other things that we need to add that we haven't spoke about? Okay, um, several things. First of all, being a member of the Kidney Network 5 the Kidney End of Life Coalition, I would highly, highly recommend their website. What is their website address? Okay, it's www.kidneyeol.org. Okay, kidneyeol.org, like Kidney End of, end of Life. End yeah, of that life, sounds pretty right. easy. It is. It's easy. And, and it has everything. It also, by the way, has a lot of resources for <laughs> professionals. They also have a lot of resources for uh, patients and families. In fact, there's a patient and family education area. And this is also where you find the state-specific type of, the state-specific directions for advanced care planning. Um, I was going to mention, too, that I think one thing that I'm a strong advocate for, and it doesn't involve totally just right at end of life, but I think we need to think about uh, a lot of things. I'm a baby boomer, and as I get older, there's a lot of things that I need to think about as I approach end of life. Um, I think, you know, things like aging in place, and do I want that to happen, and how can I make it happen? Nursing homes, would I be willing, and I would, um, not to be a burden, to be put, you know, to have my son place me in a nursing home? And under what conditions? In my case, my primary care partner being my son, uh, because I only have one child, but I think families need to discuss who would be the primary care partner. As far as 
getting older and, and disabilities that lead to end of life, I think we need to look at things like what are acceptable functional abilities that would be tolerable for us? What about hospice? Do we want a referral to hospice? And I would highly recommend that also. Things like that that are that lead up to end of life. I think these are things that we need to think about now instead of waiting till we're sick or approaching the end of our life. This has been some great information, Denise. This is such a difficult topic. It's not a very fun topic, but an important topic. Well, I had a blast. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, too, as I've said so often, if if you refuse to discuss this, if you shy away from the discussions, <clears throat> then what could happen is you could end up your fam- leaving your family and your loved ones with a very unintended legacy of guilt and, a, and just a whole mountain of, of if-onlys or what-ifs. Well, thank you, Denise. This has been a, a, an informative topic, and we thank you for all the things that you do for the kidney community. Thank you, and I'm always glad to spread the word about the necessity and importance of end-of-life issues and getting that advanced care planning done. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks, Denise. We can control our own destiny. We can take charge of our health and ask questions about our medical options. We can form partnerships with our health care team. We can take steps towards self-improvement. We can be sensitive to the impact of our disease on our family. We can sing, dance, laugh, and enjoy our lives. We can appreciate today and look forward to tomorrow. We can help and support our fellow patients. We can pursue our hopes and dreams. We can make a difference. 